clap and have a seat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is amazing and he has been amazing to us. Um, I know that we've moved away from the traditional um, testimony service, but that does not take away from the power of testimonies because the power of that testimony is not just freeing for that individual, but it's freeing for you too. Because the difference is only that you're not on the video. Everyone in this room has a testimony. And the purpose of you telling that testimony is for others to be overcome and to overcome by the word of your testimony. And so we are grateful um, for those who have been daring enough to share and who have decided that because Jesus is unbothered that they would share with us so that we could come into a greater place of victory and deliverance. I have enjoyed that series of testimonies. So thank you to everybody who was a part of that project. We are in the Unbothered series. This is week four of the Unbothered series. Thank you guys so much. Um, and so unfortunately it's coming to a close. You're gonna like the next series too though, so it's gonna be all right. <laughs> but the premise of this series has really been establishing the idea that because Jesus is unbothered um, by things that we need not be bothered by it either. Sometimes we can live so much in our head that we make up um, barriers, we make up restrictions, we make up these ideas that are stopping us from running into purpose and it's totally, completely different than how God is thinking of us when he sees us. And so we've moved through um, this concept of shame and getting rid of shame. We've moved through this concept of God's love having limits and we realize that it is limitless. And then last week we talked about mercy and um, a lot of times we can part of getting in our headspace is this idea that we feel that we don't deserve it and we let that become a barrier. But the fact that you don't deserve it should be freeing. And so that is the freeing of God that you realize you don't deserve it and then you embrace it all the more, um, both his grace and his mercy. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 as we close out this series um, of unbothered. Galatians 6 and 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Restore such a one. I want to pre preach a message entitled, The Fall is Not Fatal. Because we, we, we fall and we fall and we see others fall. And the trick of the enemy is for us to think and get us to think that because of this fall, then an end has come. But every fall does not have to be fatal. God is creating houses full of the restored as well as full of the restore words. And when we look at this scripture, it kind of calls us out um, because it's saying, well, you're the spiritual one. You're the one that knows Christ. You're the one that goes to church every week. You're the one who's got the Jesus uh, bumper sticker on your car. You're the one who wears a cross to church every day and so, or to work every day. And so you 
you, the spiritual one, it's not your responsibility to down those around you, but it is your responsibility to restore such a one. When we um, look at this scripture here, verse one, it kind of talks about uh, Paul is kind of pushing us into the basic qualities of being a genuine spiritual person. And um, we've made spirituality about our regular daily practices, which if, you be, if you're not careful, will actually turn into being religious. Um, because we think religious is old school church, not religion, not at all. The problem of being religious is the lack of being led by the spirit. How many of you know if you're actually led by the spirit, some things will be routine, but more than routine, he'll push you outside of routines. And so Paul is challenging us and um, he's saying, you feel like you're spiritual, um, but a lot of times we think we're spiritual because what's God, what God is doing in our life, that doesn't make you spiritual. God is doing stuff in your life, but that's not what makes you spiritual. What makes you spiritual is what you're doing in the life of others due to what he did for you. And so he's taking this concept of spirituality and making it not as internal as much as it is external. And that's being his reach and having impact. The spiritual one, it says in verse 1, will attempt to restore his brother, but in a certain way. I like what he says because he says that it's going to be done in humility. And it's going to be done in a way where gentleness is manifested. How many of you know that we've seen people try to restore such a one, but it's not done in humility. It's done in pride. It's not being done in gentleness. It's being done in aggression. And so then we become frustrated with trying to be restorers, but we haven't done it his way. The real spiritual one will not just pray for that person and move on, but they pick up that cross and they bear their burden in prayer. The spiritual one puts down their pride because you can't have a spirit of gentleness as you approach others if you yourself think too highly of who you are and how far you have come. And so when you think too highly of yourself, you create a huge gap, a huge barrier between those that need to be restored and you as restorer. Paul says it's important that we examine the quality of our service. Because he didn't just say, you are spiritual, restore such a one. Because we've been okay with just doing the work, doing the work. And so we'll say things like, well, I went out, I did, I talked to them. But what was the quality of your service? How effective were you? Because see, the enemy would like for us to get into the routine of doing, doing, doing. I passed out 20 tracks. I said, you know, I told this person they should come to church. I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. But what were the results on the other side? If you're not getting results, it's time for you to look inward and actually evaluate the quality of your service. Sometimes we don't step successfully into that place of being restorer because we have become so focused on human recognition. Do you know that becoming a restorer is often done in private? 
There's only so much that you can do in public before you get down and have to have a one-on-one -on -one private conversation with individuals, something that can't be posted, something that you can't take a picture of, something that people can't pat you on the back for. And so for seeking human recognition, we've exchanged the call to become restorers. There's a popular story about the woman at the well. We're very familiar, uh, some of us are very familiar with that story. The story in John 4 is an amazing story, um, but it's an amazing story of restoration. It's an amazing story of what we've been called to do in Galatians manifesting in the very life of Jesus. The woman at the well was not just any woman, but she was an outcast woman. She was an immoral woman. If Apostle was teaching this, he would say she was a whole woman. Yeah? That's his favorite word. She was openly living in sin. She had, not just, she had not just been isolated by her peers, but she had also isolated herself. The time at which she decided to come to the well was not a popular time for usage of the well. There were certain times of day where the well was a gathering place. And so it was very unlikely that you went to the well when there were not others there, unless you studied the patterns and on purpose made a plan to be at the well when you knew there was no one else there. She was intentional in her own isolation. And because she did not have a restorer of such a one, she herself was running away from the restoration. But when she sought out her own isolation, Jesus still sought to be the restorer. Many of us have felt like our lives are bankrupt. Bankrupt of love, bankrupt of success, bankrupt of the things that we desire and that we even read in the Bible that God desires for us. We feel like we have been separated from the promises of God. And so we have wallowed in that place. But for everyone who's in that place, God is raising up a restorer to answer and bring them back into the fold of what he has called them to be. It was never the intention of God for people to go through their process alone. But if the people who are the spiritual ones who have been called to restore such a one become so focused on their own restoration, then there will be no one to sit at the well. We talked about um, this idea, this concept of being unbothered. And when we think about being unbothered, I imagine an individual who simply has no cares in the world not that exist, but that they're moved by. And the reason why we haven't been able to live the unbothered life is because we are moved by every situation. 
Because somehow we've forgotten that we serve a God that has the power to sleep in the middle of a storm. We serve a God that has the power to snatch people out of prostitution and use them in the next five minutes. We serve a God that has the power over devils to command them to come out and tell them where to go. Why? Not because he doesn't have any cares, but because he simply is not moved by them. And so when we look at God, we somehow feel that he is obsolete, that he is removed from having the daily issues that we deal with. But that's why he sent Jesus. Because he said, lest you get it twisted, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be unbothered. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be called to a people that don't want you. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be doing something for a people who are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And yet he remains unbothered. For many of us, the storms and the winds, they blow. But we have not grasped the revelation of the God that we serve. God has given us access to what he has inside of him. If he has the power to sit in the middle of the storm, then you have that same power. If he has the power for things to be thrown at him, if he has the power for things to be ridiculed around him, for everything around him to go crazy and simply be unbothered. He wasn't bothered when they called him names. He wasn't bothered when they called him out. He wasn't bothered when they taunted him and said, if you have so much in you, get down off that cross. Many of us, we've become so bothered that we've gotten down off of our cross. And at the taunting of others and at the teething of others and at them calling out our God, instead of simply being unbothered, we've questioned him too. But God is calling for a people that will rock in the middle of a storm. That will be still in the middle of the storm. That will be restorers no matter what. Whether they are called to the people that nobody wants or whether they are called to the people that everybody wants. They simply sit and rest in his presence. I imagine that... Jesus was tired. If you read in John chapter 4, it says he was coming off of a ministry trip. He was exhausted. But yet he decided to take a seat right there at the well. And he's sitting at the well, and he knows what time of day it is too. I know we would like to think that Jesus went there with the intention of meeting her there, but he also went when there was nobody supposed to be there. Jesus needed a break. But he allowed himself to sit. And when the time came for ministry, he was unbothered by his own aspirations. He was unbothered by his own tiredness. He was unbothered by his own exhaustion. He was simply unbothered by his own agenda. He was unbothered by waiting on his food. He was unbothered, why? Because he allowed for the lady 
to call him to the place of manifestation. For many of us, we become irritated when our time comes. We become irritated. Why? Because it messes up our schedule. We become irritated because it is inconvenient. We become irritated because we're too tired to answer the call. We become irritated because though we want to be used by God, when we're confronted with the opportunity to be used, it's not in the way that we desired. He didn't mind being called to the people. He just needed a little break. I spent four years in L.A., um, the worst um, living situation. I hate living in L.A. It's awful. But one thing I learned very quickly, what? Is that when they start shooting, it's time to move. Don't move in a straight line. You're moving in a zigzag. You know what I mean? You know, you take that strong zigzag right there down the middle. For some of us, when your time has come to be the restorer, you scatter. And so as soon as the time comes for action, as soon as the time comes where it is your hour to manifest what he's put inside of you, you've been those who have run away from the scene instead of running to the scene. John 14 and 6, um, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. How does this relate to our woman at the well? Because there is a process for everything. The woman at the well desired the same thing that you do, to be cared for, to be loved, to be to herself, and to be valued. All of that had been taken away from her. But yet, Jesus was not bothered. He wasn't bothered by her present state. There are no rules, there are no barriers for who is eligible for restoration. There is no limit. There is no time limit for who is eligible for restoration. Unfortunately, we've made Christianity a move on Christianity. And what I mean by that is we allow people to live in their sin, but at their time of deliverance, at their time of coming out of it, we want for them to just acknowledge it and move on. But God is a God of processes. And there is no lasting restoration that does not come without a process. And so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, except by me, that means you have to be filtered through that process. That process of dying, that process of acknowledgement, that process of someone holding your hand through your restoration. Many have decided um, that their call to be a Christian is about their call to ministry and not a call to restoration. Because we think that ministry operates outside of restoration. 
There is no ministry if no one is being restored. There is no spiritual one unless someone is being restored. At lunchtime, the kids, they all eat their lunch at the cafeteria tables. And for some kids, you know, I don't, I don't want to know what their house look like because they finish lunch. They get up from the lunch table and they leave all of the trash. And when I grab them, like, hey, 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 come, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Yes? You, you left your trash here. Who, who'd you think was going to pick it up? And they look at me with these eyes of confusion. And I'm like, why are you so confused? But the last person they're thinking of that's going to pick up the trash is them. That's how we've been in the kingdom. We see trash. We notice trash. We make trash. But it never crosses our mind that we're the person who is supposed to clean it up. So you see sin, you see the state of your city, you see the world, you see the state of the government. Who do you think is supposed to clean it up? You are the restorers. John 4 and 1, um, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples, uh, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So this is his retreat. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon, the hottest part of the day. And in the hottest part of the day, he decided to do his work. At the most inconvenient time of the day. The air can break one time at church. We pray and fast that people come back the next week. But that's when he decided to do the work in the heat of his own moment. We've allowed our personal moments to move us out of the place of ministering to others. The first step to becoming a restorer is to stop being so selfish. We've become too selfish as a body to be restorers. It is unbiblical for you to say you are too tired to do ministry. It's just not biblical. Do you think that he could have told us this story with him just saying that he went from one place of ministry to the next place of ministry? Absolutely he could have. There's a reason why the story was told emphasizing how exhausted he was. There's a reason why the story was told emphasizing how much ministry he had already done. It is unbiblical in the face of a call to ministry to give your resume. When it was time to minister to her, he didn't tell her what he had been doing. He didn't tell her how tired he was. He simply answered the call. Some of us 
We're selfish in the way that we don't want to become restorers because we feel like we didn't get it. And so while we may not voice it, we think in our head, I got through it on my own. They will too. But it's selfish. It's selfish and it's prideful. Because if you think that you got through something on your own, you're delusional. All that means is that God himself walked you through it. So you better believe we all have a restorer. We all have been restored. But if you become so carnal-minded that the people who are next to you, the other individuals, the humans, you blame for not wanting to get out and restore, you are selfish. You don't withhold something because you felt like you didn't get it. John 4 and 7 says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And so the second step of becoming a restorer is to start a conversation. Stop being selfish and then start a conversation. He simply asked her a question. When he asked this question, he really could care less whether he got the water or not. But it was a way to open up the door to have conversation with her. For some of us, the reason why we're not restorers is because we don't have people skills. You don't know how to talk to nobody. And so because you don't know how to talk to people, you haven't been a restorer. It's as simple as that. Communication one-on-one. -on -one. How to start a conversation. He gave her his undivided attention. Some people don't stick with you long enough for you to restore them because you ruin the relationship with your poor people skills. And because you don't know how to love, and because you don't know how to talk, and because you don't know how to be inviting, and because you don't know how to embrace, you messed up their restoration. We need to master our ability to interact with people. God wants to slow down our personal lives so he can speed up his kingdom. But we've become frustrated because the kingdom is not advancing. And we're like, we need to see the kingdom advance and we need to see the kingdom advance. And the kingdom will advance as soon as you slow down to restore. So he started a conversation. And then in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, I don't know about y'all, but it sounds like she's getting smart to me. Like, I, don't, I just don't think she said that respectfully. Like, I don't, I don't think that she was trying to be like a nice lady. I think she's like, are you stupid? Like, are you retarded? Why are you even talking to me? You don't know me. We don't get along like that. My people don't like your people. Your people don't like my people. How dare you ask me for something? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
sir, the woman said. I mean, she got comebacks too. I'm like, listen. She like, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you gonna get living water? So she wasn't even done. She like, oh, okay, you got something for me? Where your tools at? She's sizing him up. She is determining what he can and cannot do for her. She is letting him know you have nothing to offer me. I got men, I got holes, I got everything. You have nothing to offer me. And then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So now she starts a comparison game. So now she starts comparing his ministry to somebody else's ministry. So not only was she disrespectful and then told him he had nothing to offer, now she's talking about other people's ministry better than his ministry. And then Jesus again answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I don't get thirsty and got to keep coming up here to drink water. She's not even asking for the real living water. She still doesn't believe because she says so that I don't have to keep coming here to draw water. So she still is talking about natural water. Even though she says, give me some of your living water. She still has no confidence in what he's saying, but she tests him. She poked fun at him. She called him out. She put him on the spot. The third step to becoming a restorer is to push past resistance. For some of us, we're like, that's cool. I got saved, I wanna be a restorer. But as soon as somebody calls you out, as soon as somebody's rude to you, somebody say something bad about your church, somebody say something bad about your pastor, somebody say something bad about your ministry, as soon as they do it, you are no longer available to restore them. So we haven't learned the ability to push past resistance because we've become so offended, so selfish that we can't even be restorers. But he is not moved at the first sign of opposition, at the second sign of opposition, at the third sign of opposition. Some of us, we question the power that resides within us, and so were we to get called out on the spot, we will retreat from the opportunity. Listen, I had a conversation. I tried to talk to her. I tried to explain it to her. I tried. I, I did my best. But your best comes with results. I watch people do outreach 
and they gravitate only to people who look just like him, just like them. Look like me, same color as me, about the same age as me. We choose the easy ones. We rather have somebody rededicate their life to Christ, which is important, rather than lead them to the prayer of salvation for the first time. Because we want to take the easy way out. We predecide who's going to respond to our invitation well. And that's who we pursue. It's who we predetermine is going to be receptive to it the most. Jesus has no limits to the reach that he has for his people. And it doesn't matter if they seem like they don't want him. He is not moved by it. So many of us are so insecure that at the moment somebody acts like they don't want you or they don't want to hear from you, you retreat because you're insecure. But God is calling us to be secure and confident in him. Our low self-esteem has robbed the kingdom of its forward movement. Our low self-esteem has caused the kingdom to advance as a slower rate than what he wants it to. And so we have to push past resistance. In verse 16, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you right. Checkmate, because you was talking smack. <laughs> when you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five. And the man you with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. The fourth step to becoming a restorer is to take a risk to confront. We think that we've been given the gift of prophetic ministry, prophetic utterance to make ourselves look good and spiritual. But if your prophetic ministry hasn't restored such a one, your prophetic ministry is trash. I could care less if you can prophesy and give me a word of knowledge if nobody becomes restored as a result of it. Ministry is not a popularity contest. It's not about you, it's about them. It's not about you, it's about being a restorer. And so he took a risk to confront. God is a God of bold statements. I don't know why we think that he wants us to sugarcoat because that's not the model that he set for us. He called her out. He didn't say, oh, I saw you and a guy bringing groceries to your house. Is that your brother? That's kind of stuff we do because we don't want to offend anybody. The gospel is offensive. You're right, you shouldn't be going around offending people in your own carnality and in your own ways. Absolutely not. But sin is sin and you as a restorer have been called to confront it. And because you play games with sin, that's why people aren't restored under your leadership and under your process. Because you playing games with the same sin that they're in, so you can't get them out.
The closest that Jesus came to sugarcoating was telling stories. And then after he tells the story, he says, that's you. <laughs> that's pretty much the closest he came to actually sugarcoating things, which is why I don't understand. And for those of you who are all in retreat, woo woo! We talked about it a little bit, this concept or this confusion that comes when people get upset because the preacher is preaching about them. That's Jesus the preacher. He didn't preach it unless it was about you. That's the only stuff he preached. He came up with stories tailor-made for the people he was talking to. And that's how he preached. So he looked at his audience he said, okay, 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 okay. All right, what kind of story can I tell about them? That's the kingdom. It is confrontational. It is in your face, and that's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes it so powerful. We have diluted the kingdom by becoming friends with sin and shying away from confrontation. And so we've diluted the kingdom by diluting the truth and the gospel. We talk about the scripture of judge not lest ye be judged. Come on, Matthew 7. We know it's in there. You ever read the whole context of it? It has nothing to do with not judging. What is happening there in Matthew 7 is this idea that the people who were judging had not judged themselves. And so because they hadn't judged themselves first, he said, judge not lest ye be judged. Because you're going to be double judged for one, whatever you're doing, but two, for judging without that self-evaluation. It is not a blanket statement of judge not. Imagine a world where nobody judges anything. Imagine a trial where everybody just comes in there, everybody just talks, we have all this conversation, boom, 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 and nobody judges. It's called an ineffective church. But that's what we want. Because when judgment comes, we're like, oh, the church is so judgmental. Those church, church people are so judgmental. God has called us to make an assessment. He didn't judge her in the way that we use that statement but he did not ignore her sin there is nothing wrong with confronting sin why because that's the way jesus modeled it so he called out her sin and he assessed it judgment is not the problem hypocrisy is You wouldn't be so afraid to judge others if you would take some time to judge yourself. You wouldn't be so afraid to judge others or to call them out on their sin if you got yourself together, but you know that when you call them out, they're going to call you out. And that's why many of us has lived with closed mouths. Because you know you live a dirty life. And because you live a dirty life, You'd rather keep your mouth shut before somebody swing open your closet door. And so our own sin has stopped us from being restorers. We talk about this conversation of judging. 
If we look at the judgment in the Bible, there was never judgment without praise. Listen how he talks to the lady. He says, good job. You did right. Good job. You answered well. We've lost affirmation in the midst of restoration. Yeah, restoration is about coming out of sin. Yeah, restoration is about doing better, but you have to affirm in this process of restoration. You will never find a person that is all bad. You will never find a person that is all bad. That's why Romans says love is inherent. Cling to the good. Refrain from the evil because there's good there. But without affirmation, the restoration process will be stagnated. But for many of us, we find people in sin and we have nothing nice to say about them. And because you can't find anything nice, because you can't find anything affirming, you cannot move through that restoration process with them. It is impossible to be successful in the kingdom of God without judging. However, that judging is assessment and it is onto restoration. When we keep reading, go all the way down John 4, 27. It says, just then his disciples returned. So they keep having conversation, but then the disciples get back and they were surprised. Like, wait a minute, he over here talking to her? You, um, you know who she is? Like, you know her? Why are you talking with her? We've allowed the questions of others to stop us from being restorers. Why are you with her? Why are you talking to him? Why are you going over there? Why are you stopping with them? Why? Do you know what they do? Do you know who they've been with? Do you know their reputation? Then, leaving our water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people. I like that sentence because it shows she was unbothered. Many of us, we've come to that place of restoration, but we haven't been able to hold on to our restoration because soon as we hear the murmuring and questions of people, we go back to the space we were previous in. But you think she cared? That they came in there and started trying to call her out. Oh, who is it? They heard her. I, I mean, she heard them. It wasn't a secret. They didn't like pull them all the way to the side. No, they walked up and was like, will you? You talk. What? She's like, you know what? I am restored. And because I am restored, I'm simply unbothered by the questions of others. I don't care if they question my deliverance. I don't care if they question my progress. I don't care if they question my ministry. I don't care if they question my choices. I don't care if they question where I'm growing. I don't care if they question how fast I'm growing. I don't care if they question my outward experience. I don't care if they question my dress. I don't care if they question my speech. I am simply unbothered because she knew what she had received. Do you know that revelation makes you move? When you're not moving, when you're not progressing, that means you lack revelation. Who in here is an entrepreneur? If you have not moved on your business, you don't have a revelation of who you are. You think you know who you are, which is why you raised your hand. 
But unless it's successful, you actually don't have revelation of who you are. Because revelation makes you move. Why? Because you now become unbothered, not just by your present, but you become unbothered by your future. Some of us, we've seen our future and it makes us stay still. It becomes paralyzing because we lack revelation. But then she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. Revelation is what starts revivals. He didn't plan on staying there. But the kingdom started to advance. People started to get healed, set free, and delivered. And he had no choice but to stay an additional two days to somewhere he was supposed to be stopping for a lunch break. You're on lunch while he's trying to start a revelation. He's trying to start a revival. Revelation. Revival. It moves you into that place. But we're still at lunch. We're on a lunch break. Nobody's asked us to stay two days. Nobody's asked us to stay an extra 15 minutes. But the kingdom of God cannot be resisted when revelation is present and we become committed to being restorers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know what this man really is, the savior of the world. If your life, your light hasn't caused others to come to Christ and know for, your, for themselves, you haven't been a restorer. Many of us, we restore people just enough where they have to stay dependent on us. But think about what they told her. They basically told her, we don't need you no more. Thank you for your testimony. But we no longer need your testimony. We got our own revelation. But we take people to the door of restoration. And because we want to still feel important, we give them just enough where they don't run and pass us up. The last step to being a restorer is to look for results. Not just the results for the restored, but the results for who they are able to reach. People need to be convinced of the value of Christ. There is nothing wrong with that. That's what he was doing. He was establishing with her how valuable he was and how much she needed him. Psalms 147 calls us builders. He calls us gatherers, not of Christians, but gatherers of the outcasts. Psalms 147 says, we gather the outcasts of Israel. Then it continues to say, he calls us to be healers of the brokenhearted and the bandager of any wounds. Some of us run at the first sight of blood. 
And that's what allows us to say things like, oh no, she just got too much going on. Oh no, he just, oh, mm -mm, just too much going on. And so we remove ourselves from the very ones that need to be restored. We find ourselves showing up to the hospital, walking through the ER, walking past ICU, and then going over to people who just need a quick checkup. But there are thousands of people waiting to be restored. Thousands of people needing to be restored. Thousands of people who need your time. Thousands of people who need you to be unbothered by their past unbothered by their present, unbothered by their future, which may exceed what you are presently doing. That's a word. God has called us to be those who look at falls as opportunities. When you give a sentence or a judgment against someone on their fall and cause them to have a termination and an end, you give them a fatal sentence. But every fall does not have to be fatal. And even though there are people in the Bible who were suicidal, come on, Elijah, we have to be those that are unbothered. Even though there are people in the Bible who did not even have the ability to speak but were called to be preachers, who's going to restore such a one? Even though you are bankrupt, you have no resources, it is still not fatal. The fall doesn't have to be fatal, but the fall can be used to be restored. But instead of processing through this, we have become stagnant because we are bothered. We're bothered by people's relationship status. We're bothered by the height of their dress. We are bothered by their attitude. We're bothered by their rejection. We're bothered by being seen with them. We're bothered by association with them. We're bothered when they get smart with us. We're bothered when they say no. We are bothered when they don't want it. We are bothered by things that simply do not bother him. God is calling us to be those who will take the time to get dirty. He is calling us to be those who will not run at the first sight of work. He is calling us to be those who do not shout, jump, scream, worship just for themselves alone. In a church, people don't like prayer and they don't like evangelism. Because they both take work. Everyone deserves restoration. Who have you discounted? Who have you said does not deserve restoration? They don't deserve your time. They don't deserve another call from you. I can't count the number of times where people have cut off others because of that person's response to them. Are you doing it for the response or are you doing it for the kingdom? We've spent three weeks convincing you that God is not bothered by your past, your sin. But today, I want to point out to you that we are called to be restorers. It's time for us to rest in that call to be restorers. It's time for us to rest in that call to evangelize, to equip. We have become bothered 
by everything around us. We become bothered by our own ambitions. And God is causing us to repent as a people today. I want you to stand with me and posture your heart in a way. And if you feel like the finger is being pointed at you today, it absolutely is. If you feel like you were doing your best, guess what? There's another level for you. If this hits you and you're like, you're right, I wasn't doing any of that, well, it's for you too. The church is all about multiplication. Freely you've received, now freely give. I know. We like to hear he's not bothered by your past. We like to hear he's not bothered by your sin. But how about now you become the unbothered? How about now you're not bothered by their sin? How about now you're not bothered by the way they treat you and the way they entreat you and what they say about you? God, we lift up our hearts to you. We lift up our hands to you. We lift both today because in our heart, we're asking that you make it a mirror of your heart. And that same compassion, that same move, that same unction, that same discernment that caused you to sit in the middle of the storm, that caused you to look beyond where people are and where they've been. We're saying cleanse our hearts today, God. They've become dirty and they've become tainted by experience. But you are a God that says you will not only be our shepherd, that says you will not only make us to lie down in green pastures, that says you will not only lead us beside still waters, but you also said you will restore our soul. And so we pray the Psalms 23 blessing over your people today. Restore our souls. Restore our souls. Restore our souls. Wash away the bitterness of what we did not get. Wash away the hurt and pain of rejection when we did try. Wash away every memory of when it did not work. But we call for the restoration of the soul today. And we lift up our hands because today we say we surrender. We surrender our agenda. We surrender our plans. And we say you can have our lunch break. 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 And so long as we live, those who fall around us, it will not be fatal, but it will be restorative. It will not be fatal, but it will be restorative. We lift up our hands and we say, you can have our hands. You can have our work. You can have our schedule. You can have our time. We want to be used of you. This unbothered message is not just toward us, but it is for us. And so we pray restore our souls today.
We are ready to do the work. One last thing I want to pray. I want to pray against the spirit of pride. And I just want to bind up the spirit of pride because it's in here. Because we hear things like that and, and we start to list what we've done and what we've been. And what we do and what we don't have time for. If you don't have time to be a restorer, you're not needed in the kingdom. If you don't have time to sit at the well, you're not needed in the kingdom. I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry, but it sounds nicer to say I'm sorry. You are not needed in the kingdom if you can't say yes to the call of God. And so right now, I just bind up pride. I bind up the spirit of pride that causes us to give our resume and causes us to say what we have been, what we have done. But we just come now to you in humility, oh God. We don't give you any excuses. We don't argue with your word. We just receive your word. We don't look for fallacy in your word. We just receive your word. We accept your word. We come against pride right now that causes us to think that what we have going on is more important than the kingdom of God. We come against pride right now that causes us to think that this message is for somebody else. We come against the spirit of pride that says God knows my heart. It's pride that makes us think that we're outside of his commandments. It's pride that makes us think that somehow we're exempt from this call to restore such a one. And so we pray make us those Make us those who are restorers. Make us those spiritual ones that Paul talked about. And as you restore our souls today, we become those who make your kingdom great with results and effectivity. And if you believe it, give him some praise. Hallelujah. We bless your name, O oh God. Hallelujah.